I've really, uh, I really trust it's been an, an amazing uh, time for you to reflect on this great, great letter and how it can bring life to you. Um, we've been looking at a couple of major themes throughout the whole book. The whole theme of the, the, the series we've been doing has been joyful Christian living. How can we learn to live joyfully as Christians? Uh, chapter 2, remember we looked at Paul saying, I want you to have the same attitude, the same mindset that we need to develop a Christian mind, particularly in a very secular culture. How can we learn to develop a Christian mind? How can we learn to live as Christians in the 21st century? And we had a look at that uh, and some of the other amazing encouragements that Paul has for this church. And so I'm going to finish with this three verses today. Um, Paul writing, he says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Remember, he's languishing in jail, in a Roman jail. And yet he says, I have more than, I'm amply supplied with all that I need. Uh, they are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To, my, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send their greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. And so he concludes this amazing letter. So I started three weeks ago looking at this portion, and I'm going to try, if, if, you, if you can't remember what I shared, perhaps you can listen to the podcast again. And I started looking at this whole portion in terms of what Paul wants to say to them about the gift that they um, sent him. And so I'd like to speak about two things this morning. One, Christian ge generosity and what we can learn from this portion about being generous as Christians. And then the final greetings that Paul brings uh, and uh, finishes off the letter with, which are incredibly meaningful as well. And so it's, it's fitting that we do that this morning. Uh, if you remember two weeks ago, we did uh, share with you as a, a church our mission strategy for the year into 2020, those things that we are trying to support and sow into in, in, the, in the UK and um, also into the world. Um, and so let the basic encouragement this morning to be living as generous people. Uh, God's doing so much all over the world. He's doing much in St. Albans. He's doing much in the Europe, in, in, in our, our immediate environment, but also all over the world. And let us continue to be those that are thinking about Cambodia, India, and the other places that we are ministering into as God opens up different things for us. So last time, just to set the context, Paul said these amazing words that he had learned to be content in all things that he had learned to be self-sufficient in God, that he could trust God in all things, and that was the basic motivation for him. And now he comes back to what has been a main concern in writing this letter, and he wants to thank these Philippians for their gift. 
And so he opens with these words. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except only you. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So a couple of things I'd like to point out and and help us see out of this portion this morning. The first thing I'd like you to notice is this. Do you notice how Paul combines spirituality with absolute courtesy? Do you notice that? Paul's an incredible man. He managed to say very difficult things in an amazing way. And this is what I mean. When he's writing to these people, if you can just keep the scripture up, please. he, He manages to do two things. First of all, he's trying to make quite clear to them that he's incredibly grateful for their generosity towards him, but at the same time, he is making it quite clear to them that he's not dependent on their generosity. Do you notice that? It's an incredibly difficult thing to get right. So he's showing in all of this, even though they've helped him financially in the most amazing way, he's still, he's still trying to communicate to them that at the end of the day, his dependence totally is on God. And so I believe that there's a... There's a a wonderful thing that we can learn about finances as a model for Christian workers and ministries. And I want to say this carefully this morning. In Paul's day, there were lots of Christian workers. And and in our day, there are lots of Christian workers doing lots of things. And unfortunately, I've seen over many years now of ministry that sometimes Christian workers are motivated by salary more than they are motivated by the call of God on their lives. And for me, one of the marks of truly being called to Christian ministry is that you're not really all that bothered at the end of the day about your salary. That's why I want to say, I'm trying to say this carefully this morning. Of course, you need a salary, and when you get a salary, it's greatly appreciated, and there are material things that all of us need. And at the same time, as we're going to see from Paul's life, every Christian worker might need at some time in their life to do something practical to provide for themselves. You look at Paul's life, he went back to tent making a number of times in order to provide for himself. In fact, I want to point this out to you, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 7, there were even times that Paul refused to accept money that people wanted to give him. Let me read it to you. Verse 7 says this, 1 Corinthians 9. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its own grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? It's written in the law of Moses. Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? No, surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, it was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. I have, if we have sown spiritual seed amongst you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying in all of those, he's using all those pictures of, of uh, people sowing, uh, reaping a harvest and saying in the same way though that those that sow the word deserve to have a harvest from sowing the world, material provision. But he said he didn't even use that right. He'd be, why? Because he wanted the gospel to go out. 
So Paul has an amazing attitude. He shows incredible generosity and shows at the same time, um, uh, uh, incredible gratitude and shows at the same time that his primary dependence ultimately, end of the day, is on God for his provision. I think we can all learn from that. Secondly, uh, the th- second thing I'd like to notice about the generosity here that the Philippians can show us, there are four little things I'd like you to notice. Do you notice that this generosity the Philippians show is kind? Do you notice that? They're incredibly kind people. It's practical kindness. And it's practical kindness that shows an understanding of what it means to be in fellowship with someone in such a practical way. They're they saying to Paul, Paul, we are in fellowship with you, and this is shown in a practical way. We want to take care of your practical needs while you're in prison. It's generosity, Christian generosity, should be motivated by kindness, that we actually see what the problem is, and in a practical way, we help to fix the problem, all right? Do you notice that um, uh, it's also perceptive? They perceived, they saw something in Paul's life. They understood that the giving was part of what it meant to be a a partner with him. And so they show this in a very practical and down-to-earth manner. And so I want to encourage you, every time you give a penny, every time you buy a, a hot dog, every time you buy a cup of coffee, every time you give Remember, in a very practical way, in a demonstrable way, you are showing a practical concern for Cambodia and India and Europe and Ukraine and this community. When you give your pennies, when you give your coffee, when you buy your coffee, it's a practical demonstration of fellowship and partnership with other people. Amen. That's how we need to see everything in our lives. So it's like... You know, they're saying to Paul, it's not, it's not only that we want to share in the salvation message that you are preaching, it's a wonderful message, but we want to practically be involved with you as well. And so let us have that same attitude as we think about our communities, our churches, our nation, uh, and the other things that God has called us. We are, we've got a great message of salvation to preach. At the same time, there's a practical demonstration of how that is worked out. So their generosity is kind. Their generosity is perceptive. Do you notice, thirdly, that their generosity is rare? It's a rare thing. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving except only you. Paul had planted all these churches. None of them practically supported him except one church in Philippi. Man, that is incredible. It's rare. Fourthly, Their generosity was persistent. It says they helped him before, and they helped him again. And that's what partners do. They carry on in a persistent way, giving where the need is. So Paul, although he seems to be a little bit embarrassed to receive this money, at the same time, he's extremely grateful, and he's extremely grateful for their ongoing support and generosity towards them. So let us be like that, kind, perceptive, persistent, and let our giving not be rare. Let our giving be consistently meeting the needs where God opens the doors for us. The third thing I'd like you to notice out of this portion is that Paul says this kind of generosity, it increases your reward. It increases your reward. If you go to verse 17, he says, it's not that I'm seeking your gift. It's not that I want the money. What I really desire is that more be credited to your account. Do you notice he says that? 
And for me, this is a very, very profound motivation for Christians, is that we don't live for this earth. We don't live for this life primarily. We live for the life that is to come. We live for eternity. We live for the new heaven and the new earth. And we should be motivated with this, that there is a reward for you and I. There's the well done, good and faithful servant. There's a reward for us in heaven and when the new heavens and earth come. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying this giving, this giving is increasing your rewards, your eternal rewards. So see it in that light. Fourth, it's generous. This generosity is pleasing. Do you notice that? It says it's a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And so he's using this Old Testament kind of picture of an offering that is a consecration to the Lord, and God is pleased with that. Fifthly, Remember I spoke to you about conditional grace a couple of weeks ago? I believe in unmerited favor, grace, God saves us. But there are some conditional promises in the Bible that are conditional grace. Here's another one. Do you notice what Paul says uh, because of this practical way that they've helped him? What does he say is the promise for them? He says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory. He has a conditional promise. He has a practical conditional grace to them. What a promise. Paul is saying that as they have been generous to him, because of that, God will be generous to them, not only in one area of their lives, but in every area of their lives. Do you notice that? How incredible is that? You've been faithful with this little thing, says Paul, and now God is going to be faithful to you with the whole of your life. Everything that you might need, my God will supply that need. It's a great promise. It's personal. Do you notice the promise is personal? Paul says, my God. He knows the God of which he's speaking. He knows that this God that he serves and loves has been faithful to him while he's preached the gospel, has been faithful to him in the prison, and will be faithful to him until the end. And he says, the same God that I love with all my heart, that I know with all of my heart, that same God that I know will meet all your needs because of your faithfulness in giving. It's incredible. Do you notice the promise is controlled in two ways? Do you notice that? It says, my God, he has the control. My God will meet all of your needs. Not my God will meet all of your greed. Does it say that? I found this in traveling the world. It's amazing how needs differ in different parts of the world. It's amazing how, how, how people are satisfied with what we would say is so little in their context, but it's the need that they have. God supplies that. You see what it says? My God will supply all of your luxuries, all of your desire for Mercedes-Benz and Lamborghinis. No. My God will meet all of your needs. Your practical everyday needs, food, clothing, Matthew, do not be concerned with what you will eat or drink. I quoted this morning. Why? Because your father in heaven sees and he's a good father and will he not supply all of those things to you? God will supply all of our needs. I want to encourage you in your life, God will supply all of your needs. Do you notice the second control? This promise comes through Christ, comes through Jesus Yes? Those two things. The promise is personal. The promise is, is controlled in two ways. And do you notice this? The, the last thing uh, in terms of generosity. Do you notice that the promise inspires something incredible in Paul's heart? Do you notice that? 
he's, in, he's inspired to say these words. To God our Father be glory and power forever. <laughs> Why does he, it's like he defaults into worship. Why does he default into worship? Because he's so convinced of the goodness of God. And it inspires worship in his heart. And even while he's writing from jail, he knows that God is going to be faithful to him, faithful to them. And he's inspired from the inside. And he can't help himself. To God be the glory. He can't help but worship. And when you know that God is kind and generous towards you and supplies all of your needs, it can't do anything else except inspire worship in your heart. And you just want to say, thank you, God, for your goodness. I hope you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> Amen. God be the glory. And then lastly, do you, uh, I want to just point this to, uh, out to you. Do, you. do you notice this amazing thing that Paul seems to be concerned that every Christian keeps in touch with every other Christian? And he says this, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And in the same way, he says, um, everyone that's with me sends greetings to you, the Philippians, especially those of Caesar's household. Especially those of Caesar's household. Now, when I read that, I, I, I thought, well, what, is that, what does that mean? And so I, I went to, um, I love history, so I read some history books. And there are three Romans that wrote about Roman rule. One was a guy called Suetonius. The other one was a guy called Pliny. Pliny wrote about the persecution of the Christians. There was an emperor called Trajan. And by the time uh, Trajan was emperor, there were lots of Christians. And so Pliny was a, a guy that was a ruler, a governor. And he was, he was writing to, to Trajan to say, well, what, what must I do with all these Christians? There's so many of them, and they refuse to obey Roman rule. What, what, what must I do? So he writes this letter back to Trajan, and it talks about how the Christians were persecuted. It's very, very interesting. But the other guy that wrote a lot about the emperors was a guy called Suetonius. He was a Roman. He was an aristocratic Roman, and he wrote Roman history. So he wrote a book called The Twelve Caesars, and it, it, it uh, speaks about every single emperor from Julius Caesar right through. And he's t he talks about, in this particular letter, at the time that Paul is writing, the emperor was a guy called Nero. Everyone heard of Nero? Yeah? So Nero was not a nice guy. <laughs> and so when Suetonius writes about uh, um, uh, Nero, he says this. I saw this little footnote. And it talks about Philippians 4.22. And it says this. Acte, A-C-T-E, was a slave that had been brought had been bought in Asia, whose beauty was so remarkable that it captivated Nero, and he redeemed her and became greatly attached to her. She became his concubine. This uh, actor is supposed to be the concubine of Nero, mentioned by St. Chrysostom. Chrysostom was a, a third century church father, as that person being converted by the preaching of St. Paul while he was in residence in Rome. The apostle speaks of the saints in Caesar's household in Philippians 4.22. What's my point? My point is this, that there's this woman who's beautiful, an Asian lady who's been taken from her home. She was forced into slavery. She's been brought to Rome. She has been she has been forced to become the concubine of Nero, who is one of the most immoral people that's ever walked the face of the planet, killed his own mother, had incest with his three sisters, 
He, he was, a, he was a, a totally debauched person. This woman, who is a Christian, has become a Christian under the preaching of Paul, is forced to be her, his concubine. And she sends greetings to the Philippians. She's, she's expressing some kind of, that's what it says. It says, especially those in the household of, of Caesar, Nero, they send, he's, he's talking about actor and other people that are concerned about the Philippians. I find that incredible. Now remember, this is AD 60, this is Nero, and Nero was one of the guys that over the course of his life showed incredible indiscriminate cruelty to Christians. I know that because of what Suetonius has written. Another guy called Tacitus um, describes that how Nero went on to burn Christians as Roman candles to light his pathway into his, his garden. He threw them when the great fire of Rome broke out. He blamed it on the Christians, and so he threw the Christians to, uh, to the lions. He put animal skins on them, and they were torn apart by wild dogs. This is Paul's context. <laughs> this is the context of Acte. This is the, what they lived with. You know, Roman, Roman cruelty was not new. A hundred years before, AD, uh, 71 BC, have you heard of a guy called Spartacus? Spartacus was a gladiator. He was a slave. And he led a revolt. And he got an army together. And they eventually fought the Romans. And um, they were defeated, unfortunately. Crassus and Pompey defeated uh, Spartacus's army. Here's the thing. 6,000 men were crucified every 100 yards from the battlefield to Rome. A place called Capua is where the battle ha happened. The Romans crucified 6,000 men every 100 yards on the Appian Way to Rome just to let they left the bodies there for years to rot on the crosses. Why am I saying all this to be disgusting? No, just to say to you, this is, what the, this is the context of where Paul and those who were writing they understood this. This was the history. This is how Rome had treated them for years and years and years. And so the Romans did this to just let Spartacus and the others know, if, you, if any of you rebel in this way again, this is going to happen to you. And so Paul is writing here, and he's saying, even, even in Caesar's household where the, 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 these Christians are, under this incredible pressure, this incredible fear, they are writing to say hello to you. They send their greetings. Why do I say all of this? I say all of this because basically at the heart of Christianity is a desire to love other people, to be concerned for other people. No matter what your circumstance is, no matter what your pressure is, no matter what your life is going through, there's this undeniable truth of Christianity that Christianity is others-centered. It's centered on other people. It's concerned for others. And so finally... Paul finishes off this beautiful letter with these words. He reminds them that they're living in a kingdom of grace. Remember when we started Philippians, what does Paul say? He says, grace to you. Now what does he say right at the end? He says, grace be to your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And so, in conclusion, as we draw all of this together, let me say this to you. From the beginning to the end, the Christian experience, the Christian life is a matter of grace. We come 
to the cross, to faith in Christ, we have peace with God through grace, Romans 5. We experience God's grace that transforms us. It's undeserved merit. It's undeserved favor that sustains us and brings through us through every crisis in our lives. And I'll put it to you, the Philippians' new anxiety. We're going to talk about mental health with the men. The Philippians had many anxieties. I've tried to describe to you some of the pressure that they were under. They were under pressure from civil authorities, from the Roman Empire. Paul was in prison. And in spite of all these pressures, all these things that are forcing in on them, what does Paul say? He says, live on the grace of God. That's, I find that remarkable. Live on the grace of God. Continue to live on the kindness of God in your life. They'd already known God's grace. They were sought out by God's grace. They were saved as pagans by God's grace in Philippi. And they became new people with new hearts and a new nature. And they experienced all of the liberty and freedom that brought. And their lives still were hard. And their lives still were full of trouble. Constant danger, constant pressure, unimaginable cruelty that we can't even begin to understand. And what is Paul's remedy? What is Paul's last final words to them? The grace of the Lord Jesus be to your spirits. His entire message is about Jesus. His entire message is about the King of glory who became a servant and now has been rightly exalted. And his, his encouragement to us throughout this letter is that we too should be found in Christ. Why? When we're in Christ, we begin to experience the grace of God. And so he says, grace to you uh, in the beginning. And now he says, grace be with your spirit. Is there any difference between those two phrases? I think there is a profound difference in what Paul is saying. And here I want to just point you to, we sang this morning, um, let go my soul. You know that song? Well, you know, the, the, the Hebrews didn't understand. That's a very Greek way of viewing your things. The Hebrews said we have a body, which is physical, and we have a spirit. And the spirit is that part of us that knows and has, can have relationship with God. The Bible speaks about those two things. The Bible never speaks about your soul. That's a Greek thing way of viewing the world. The Greeks said we have a physical body which is altogether evil and we have a soul. We have a soul that goes on forever that can know, that can know eternity. And that's why it was very important for Greeks that you married your soulmate. Why? Because if you're going to live forever, you better be with your soulmate. All right? Hebrews didn't see it like that. Hebrews just saw body, spirit. The Spirit is that part of us that can know and have relationship with God. I put it like this. The, the Spirit is the hidden person of the heart. It's that per, the part of you inside of you that no one else can see, that believes by faith, and, and can know the presence of God deep within yourself. It's your Spirit. And Paul is saying, he's saying, even though you might be thrown in jail, even though you might be cast to the lions, even though you might go through all sorts of persecution like acting and be forced to be a, concu a concubine of a, a totally degenerate person, in spite of all of that, grace be to your spirit. Grace to be to, to that part of you that no one can see, that part of you that knows God, that part of you that's capable of relationship with God. May the grace of God strengthen you in the inner person of your life, the hidden person of the heart that, that no one can damage. 
They can da damage your body. They can throw you to the lions. They can't stop you having faith. They can't stop you praying. They can't stop you believing. That part of you, the deep person, the hidden person of the heart, the grace of God be to the hidden person of your spirit. That would be my encouragement to you. Grace be to your spirit. That part of you that knows God, that loves Him, that's committed to Him. Your body can be wasted. Your body can die. Your body can go through disease. Grace be to your spirit. That's what Paul says. You know, if we know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of the sufferings, of Christ's sufferings, we know that even in the hardest times of trial and uncertainty about our future, we can sing, it is well with my soul. Why? Because we know Christ. We know the power of the resurrection. We know what it means to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And I want to say this to you. One day, Jesus is going to come back. One day we are going to be tran totally transformed and receive a glorified body. One day we are going to know that as our future. That is certain. I'm absolutely convinced that that is certain because that's what the Scripture says. But until that day, until I have a glorified body, until I, uh, until I am with Christ in eternity, I live on His grace. And I want to encourage you to live on future grace. And I want to speak about that in the next couple of weeks. We are saved by grace, but you and I, we live on future grace. We live on the goodness of God that we have not yet experienced. That is what our trust is in, is in the goodness of God for our future. So despite Brexit, despite whoever becomes the next prime minister, despite all that shenanigans, that nonsense, despite all of that, we can be certain of our future. Why? Because we're not dependent on that. We are dependent on God's future grace to us. We live on His future goodness to our, in our lives. Amen. That's what it means to live and walk by faith. We're going to explore that. Why are we going to explore that? Because that helps us not to be anxious about anything. Michael did a wonderful job, and I'd like to return to that in the next couple of weeks and explore how can we, how can we have the Scripture encourage us so that we can learn not to be anxious about anything. Not to be anxious about death. Not to be anxious about how we're going to provide for ourselves. Not to be anxious about our health. Not to be anxious about the future of our children. Not to be anxious about any of those things that become precious for us. How can we learn to do that? We live on the grace of God. We live on the kindness of God. And we're going to learn together how we can do that. So that the church can become strong and joyful and kind and compassionate and generous as we live on the grace of God. Amen. I hope that you have been encouraged out of uh, this wonderful book of Philippians. I hope that now when you read it, you will read it in a different way, and you will know it in a different way, that we've taken some time just to explore the great themes of this book. Amen.